This is Kim, and welcome to the 185th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you liked today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, we're going to be continuing our conversation on education with two women who have had extensive experience in the field, Amy Reed and Heather Harrison. Amy Reed values connection, making brave choices, and taking action towards an exceptional life. Her life changed dramatically when she stopped making decisions to please those around her and started to choose a life that was brave, bold, and aligned. Diversity was not commonplace when growing up in a small town and being raised in the church. The other bad F word in her house was feminism. Amy was socialized to be quiet, polite, and compromising. This way of living landed her in a life that looked beautiful from the outside, was incredibly unfulfilling. Five years ago, she decided to look inside of herself, ask what she wanted her life to look like, and make brave choices to get it. She left her marriage and partnered with a woman. In their queer blended family, they are raising four beautifully curious and energetic kids. She is a post-secondary educator, somatic breathwork facilitator, speaker, and in her spare time, she has a burgeoning real estate investment portfolio. Heather Harrison is a fitness trainer, clinical exercise physiologist, certified high-performance coach, and faculty member in the Fitness and Health Promotion Program at Durham College in Ontario, Canada. Basically, she's a jock-turned-academic. Through her 30-year plight to learn more deeply about her two favorite topics, comprehensive health and human behavior, Heather has found herself involved in an array of opportunities, including grassroots sports development, research to support the prevention of eating disorders and muscle dysmorphia in athletes, facilitating internal control psychology workshops with personal trainers and allied healthcare practitioners, and coaching a diverse clientele. In addition to being a teacher, Heather is a student, most often through her four kids, and very patient partner. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amy and Heather. I can only imagine how busy you are, and I'm so grateful you were willing to take a break from all of that to talk with us. I'm so excited to be here, Kim. Thank you. That was so well done, Kim. What a mouthful we are. (laughs) It was totally my pleasure. You guys have a lot to say, and it really helps the listeners get to know who you are. Let's just jump right in, and I'll start with you, Amy. Could you tell us what is the connection between being an educator and being a coach? Because I know you do both, and I know so does Heather. So how are they connected for you? Prior to taking my coaching certification, I thought there could be a connection just around communication. And then once I actually took the course, I was like, oh, yeah, there's so much more here that I didn't realize. And what I have found is when you are utilizing coaching skills, it's less talking to the students and more just asking questions. One of the things that I found that is a common thing for colleagues that we speak with is attendance in class. They're having issues with students attending. Part of what I do with my coaching is I ask a lot of questions. I find out what's important to that student, what's meaningful for them. Having that information allows me to support an environment 
that contributes to those things that are important to them and they're more likely to show up for class. Being able to ask really quality questions to find out what's important to them contributes to a really quality learning environment. Just to add to that, sometimes the answers are surprising. Obviously something you've never thought of because it's not you that we're talking about. I've had students just say, I really want to. I really want to come to class, but I actually have to work a 40-hour job just to make my tuition so I can come next year to class. <laughs> yeah. So as educators, we, well, as any human, you only have your perspective. So it's it's actually really interesting when you start having those dialogues. Yeah, not making assumptions and being curious and actually asking the questions. I love that. So Heather, how about you? With the growing awareness of mental health in society, are students expressing a heightened interest in this aspect of their education? I teach fitness and health promotion professionals of the future. So fitness promotion professionals of the future. They come in already interested in physical health, but they innately have an understanding that when they are engaging in physical fitness, it's actually helping their mental health as well. I'm not sure if they overtly say, hey, teach me about mental health. But when you make the connection, they're like, oh, yeah, I can see that truth for myself. I want to know more about that. Once it comes up, they seem to inquire a lot more. So they don't come in thinking that, interestingly enough. They know that there's a lot of dis-ease in culture right now. But when we start to talk about mind-body connection, total behavior, they certainly do perk up a lot. I'm really lucky in the courses that I teach, which is wellness and coaching technique. It's so fun to talk to students about how when they originally come to school and they think mental health, they think mental illness, right? Right. When we start to talk about the whole spectrum of mental health, everything from, oh, my body just doesn't feel good. Like I don't feel good about something right up until what we'd call diagnosable mental illness. When we start to talk about that spectrum, the conversations we have are like, when I don't feel good, it's actually not always a problem. It's actually really good biofeedback. It tells you something that you're not doing or something you're not thinking or something you're thinking you're doing isn't working for you. This is total behavior choice theory stuff. When we start to have those conversations, we're like, oh, stress isn't always bad. It's actually good information. Then they start to make connections and the interest emerges and we have more conversations about that. I love that because it's like if you help them see how the mental health connects to physical health, which is their passion and their interest, then they want to learn more. That's also choice theory 101, tapped into their internal motivation. Yes, exactly. And then a lot of the conversations we have aren't, oh, how am I going to be a good fitness professional or, or allied health professional four years from now or two years from now or whatever? It's, oh, how am I going to make it through this week myself? So I can be a fitness professional, effective one in the future and support my clients with the same challenges. And I love that. That's my plan is to to have the classes be meaningful now, not two years from now. (laughs) Right, right. Perfect. Amy, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, just quickly. In the massage therapy profession, we're finally catching up with research around how massage therapy can help to reduce anxiety and depression. And so that's getting talked about a lot more. As a massage therapist, and I teach as well, we are in a really unique position where our regular length of massage is an hour. Let's say you have an hour one-on-one with someone. There's a lot of conversation that can happen in that time. And I think that's very unique. 
And there's a lot of opportunity to support patients in that space. A lot of our conversations in school talk about how do we support our patients in that way. And what I'm hopeful for is then the students then learn to translate that for themselves, because oftentimes I find with massage students, they're so focused on helping others and they kind of leave themselves out of it. But if we have the strategies in place that they can support their patients, then I'm hoping they'll also start to apply those to themselves as well. Yeah, we're not very good at caregiving for ourselves when we're caregivers. Absolutely not. Yeah. So Amy, in your interactions with students, have you noticed a shift in attitudes towards self-care and preventive health measures? It's something that we build into the curriculum and it's weaved throughout the courses. What I'm finding, especially after COVID, is that there seems to be less about preventative self-care and more just seems like straight up survival mode for a lot of our students. There is a lot of tuition pressures, financial pressures outside of school. We've got mature students, so potentially they have children at home. They could be caring for parents. I'm actually seeing a shift away from what I perceive to be balanced students that can focus on their studies and more students that have increased pressures outside of school and they're just trying to get through. So they're in survival mode. Um, I 100% agree with what you both said. Every week, I'm like a broken record. I'm telling students about resources that our institution has to help with their mental health or to help with financial wellness or whatever part of their wellness is struggling at that point. And I feel like sometimes I'm saying the words so much. I'm like, are they just like, ah, Heather, we heard you. Sometimes I feel like I say the words and they bounce off their faces and just like (laughs) go into the nowhere place. But the minute I say, hey, did you know that you can also use these resources for your friends and family? You can feel that are connected to them. Then they're like, huh. Then they're into, oh, really? Because somebody I live with is having some mental health challenges or has an addiction issue or whatever. They're really good at being advocates for other people. But when you say, hey, you're not really sleeping that much. Do you think that might be contributing to your challenges with your studies? And they're like, ah, they're in survival mode. They're like, no, I have to work. I have to do this thing. What is really, really interesting, and I know Amy and I both practice this, is the opportunity to use a part of class just to have students tap into some form of self-care or even not even self-care, even if it's just awareness. Anecdotally, this generalized disembodiment, detachment from self, not really being aware of what I need because so many people in my life have told me what I need and what I should do to this point. So these are young Mm -hmm. adults. Many of them are leaving their houses of origin and they're living on their own and they're having their own lives and they don't know what to do with it. It's fascinating. To self-care is the step after to know what it is you need. So it's this really interesting time, especially post-COVID, when so many of your needs were locked down. You didn't even have a chance to figure out what they were versus meet them. Post-COVID to just say, hey, how are you doing today? So let's do a scale of one to 10. How are you feeling? Or one thing I love to do with my students is they say, okay, well, on three, I'm going to count to three. And on three, everybody make an audible, a sound that aligns with how you feel right now. <laughs> and it's a bit fun, right? Because you get this sort of ray of everything. And then it's like, okay, now that you made the audible, turn to the person beside you and just explain in one word that's a feeling or emotion word that aligns with what the audible meant. Just like putting a voice or putting a word to your feeling, and we know this cognitively or neurobiologically that there's an effect of that. It's just reconnecting to, oh, hey, what's my experience? And it's such a fascinating thing, not to go on and on about this, because 
in some ways, we think of post-secondary students as mature adults that have it all together and know what they need and know what they want. But in a lot of ways, these are just young, almost kids, if you will. They're not kids, but it's fascinating. We just have such a great opportunity to just have some of those aha moments with our students. Sometimes I forget that that's what is needed. Yeah. Especially when you think that the students that you must be working with are students who clearly lived through some academic void during COVID with themselves. They didn't have the same experience that we had in school. They had a whole year and sometimes two years gap from what you might call normalcy. That's an interesting thing. And I love that you do the exercise with vocal. I wrote a book called Choosing Me Now. The first chapter was about who are you and how do you know who you are? How can you create a loving, caring relationship with yourself so that you want to do self-care if you don't even know who the heck you are? There's a lot to be done to help people know that they're worthy to actually care about. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so much in that. There's so much in that. Far yeah. beyond the time that we have, but I would love us to talk about that more at some point. <laughs> sure thing. Heather, do you find, it sounds like people are drowning almost. Mm-hmm. Do you find that students are able to incorporate some wellness practices into their daily life, either in or out of the academic setting? Wellness is a really broad thing, right? So when we talk about wellness practices, there's lots of ways to come at this, but one of my courses, we teach dimensions of wellness and we're talking about social wellness and intellectual wellness and physical and emotional and spiritual and environmental. When we're talking about wellness practices, the nice thing is part of the curriculum is to expose students to this concept of comprehensive wellness. And as fitness and health practitioners, there are many ways to support a client to get where they want to go. I'm going to step back from students a bit and talk about fitness because I can't help myself because it's what I teach. But if your client wants to have more energy, they come to you. That's their underlying. They want to have more energy because they want to be able to play with their grandkids, let's say, or their kids. That's the underlying why, right? And you say, okay, let's get you on a fitness program, whatever. And you create this great fitness program and they don't really do it. If you should them on why they should do it, if you're never, if you never do your fitness program, you'll never get to do this. Instead of that, say, okay, well, what's another way to get that same end outcome? And they say, well, the fitness isn't working. I don't have the time, but maybe I could eat better. Okay, great. Maybe I could sleep better. Okay, great. Maybe I could drink more water. Okay, great. There's lots of ways to get to that same end. Similarly with students, when we're looking at wellness, I will say to them, it's like a ball of health or wellness is a ball. And there's lots of access points. What do you normally do for wellness? And they say, well, I work out. A lot of them like the gym. So I work out, but I don't have time because I have so many studies. Okay, well, what else can you do? Remember the dimensions of wellness. What else can you do? Well, I connect with friends. Okay, here we are in class. Do you guys need, do you wonderful people, do you wonderful folks need more time to connect with one another? Yes. As a teacher, part of that is creating an opportunity in class in real time, as opposed to this thing you do outside of class in your quote unquote spare time. That they don't have. They don't have, exactly. In part, it comes from teacher. But what we try to do as teachers effectively is like put the ownership back in their hands. So, hey, what do you need today? Thanks for showing up to class not expected. Thank you for making the time to come here. Amazing. What do I need to know about your week? How stressful is it? What do you need today to look like? Sometimes they're just like me, right? They're like antsy and they can't sit and they're just, and which is ridiculous education anyways. <laughs> but it's like, hey, everyone stand up. Let's play rock, paper, scissors, touch. And they just have a quick interaction that gets some of the energy out. And it's done. Okay. Check in with your body. How does that feel? We feel better. Okay, great. You have more energy. Great. Okay. That took 30 seconds. Let's just make those connections. Your original question, 
Are they making time for self-care? I don't think they have time for self-care. Right. <laughs> they report that. How can we do it in real time and in the moments in class and expose the concept of like multiple ways to that, get to that same end? Right. Gotcha. Amy, do you have anything you want to add to that? The thing that comes to mind for me is when I'm working with the massage therapy students, there is a shift occurring, but they're predominantly female identified. In some of our courses, we learn how to navigate difficult conversations and advocating for themselves and speaking up. A lot of times how we're socialized as women is not to speak up and not to say what we're feeling. In this particular profession, because the therapist and the patient are extremely vulnerable, what I think is my role as a faculty member is to teach them how to navigate those conversations. They can advocate for themselves. They can advocate for their patients. And so I think that's a self-care piece that may not seem like as obvious. Sometimes we think of self-care as go get your own massage, take a bath, meditate. But I think being empowered to speak up is a significant form of self-care and how to navigate difficult conversations. It's so essential to their mental health and well-being and self-care. Like navigating, setting boundaries and holding those boundaries. Yeah, I love that. So Amy, how do you balance the students' mental and emotional well-being with the academic expectations you have for your course? I want to hear from both of you on that. What I'm learning more and more every year is that it's less and less about the content. I have content that I need to deliver. So I teach an anatomy course. They have to know what muscle attaches to what bones. They have to know that content. But if they're not in a good headspace, it doesn't matter if I have an amazing presentation, video resources, it doesn't matter what I put together. They're not hearing the content. When I think about that balance, I really go back to what we were talking about earlier. And it's just creating this environment that feels psychologically safe, emotionally safe, right at the beginning of the school year when in theory they have sort of the most capacity as opposed to the end of the semester when they're so burnt out. We set those expectations. We talk about how we all contribute to that environment. And then I set the expectations for the academic side and then I just leave it with them and check in and ask how I can support them along the way. Nice. I imagine you guys both have high attendance at your classes because it sounds like you are creating a little piece of oasis for your students in a sea of chaos. The thing too, Kim, is that when they stop showing up, what I've learned for myself as well is to stop taking it personally. Yeah, I mean. It's not about me. It's not about me. There's Mm -hmm. just too many competing priorities and I can do all the things I can do. And then that's where my control over the situation starts and ends. We don't always have fantastic attendance, but I would say overall, if you're comparing across the college, that I would say, yes, I probably do have really decent attendance. I bet you do. Can I add to that? So funny because I just did an analysis of my attendance today because it came up in one of our team meetings. There's this thing called presenteeism as well, right? (laughs) Generally speaking, I have great attendance. However, there is one group of students they're attending and the other day, there was five students who just, their eyes just shut right at the middle. You know what I mean? And I was like, wow. I said, are you guys okay? You're struggling. Folks, are you doing okay? What's happening here? And they're just like, we're just so tired, <laughs> right? So even though they're attempting to come to class, they're just not sleeping enough and they're overwhelmed and all those things. What Amy said was to not take it personally. I think it's just like really interesting juggling act as a teacher where sometimes I do take it personally because I'm evaluating that could have been better. Sometimes I don't because I'm like, 
that was an awesome lecture. I think I did all the things like pedagogically sound. And then sometimes I'm like, Heather, that could have been better. The times that I do take it personally, I'm like, okay, why is that? I'm doing my own self-evaluation and really seeing, is this a pedagogically sound lecture? Do I really know these students and what their needs are or what their quality world pictures are? And then if the answer is no, then I work harder to do that for myself. And hopefully the students resonate with that. And if not, then we just continue around that loop. Yeah, never give up. Keep trying whatever might work. What works today may not work tomorrow and you've got to reinvent. Yeah. Yeah. But that to me is what an excellent educator does. You're not just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and blaming your students for not responding the way that you'd like. I love that. But that's a learning for new teachers. New teachers think I'm going to come in, I'm going to teach this course three times. It's going to be good. Set it, forget it. It's also reflected in the way that the system allots our time. The longer you teach it, or the easier it should be. It's like, well, no, not really, because it's a new bad of students. So it's just interesting. In some ways, education, the education system is an interesting pressure cooker that it's not just students in survival mode. Sometimes the teachers are in survival mode. Oh, heck yeah. And superintendents and everybody all around. Yes. Yeah. I know that education isn't all that you guys do. So what coaching or education do you currently facilitate outside of the post-secondary role? Heather. We do a lot of coaching. I still coach one-on-one with individuals around performance or life coaching. Some people might call it that. But the one thing that I do a lot of and really love is internal control psychology infused education for in-service personal trainers. So personal trainers that have been in industry are working with clients and teach them choice theory or internal control psychology. And it's awesome. I love it so much. It's so great because it's a continuation of what I do in academia, but now they're in service and they're like, now I'm dealing with clients. Now the challenges are coming. How do I deal with this? And they're so eager to make meaning and they love it. It's such good conversation and I learn a lot and they learn a lot. It's awesome. That's exciting. I can just see the passion you're exuding from every pore of your body. That's awesome. It's so great because I'm working with one particular gym, pretty high-end gym, who has multiple locations across Canada. And they have made the investment multiple times to have me come in and talk to personal trainers, but also managers on the subject of choice theory. So they're putting their resources into this. So people are interested. It's a very good time to really put resources into and I've said this before, hashtag personal trainers are frontline mental health workers, 100%, 100%. But we're so stuck on scope of practice and that that I think we're really missing the opportunity here. Not that I don't think you should work within your scope of practice, but I think there's a lot more overlap between what you do, Kim, in psychology and the psychology realm and what I do in the physiology realm. You said it in the very beginning when you said it's about humans. And that's what happens when we're with humans and we have a soul. We want to help other humans because we don't like to see people in pain. And you don't have to have a degree to be able to be genuine, authentic, listen, and work to understand the experience of another person. Yeah, beautiful. Well said. Well, Amy, I can't wait to hear about all the exciting things you are doing outside of post-secondary stuff. So do tell. Yeah. Yeah. Just a small piece of background. I worked as a personal trainer and strength coach for about 20 years. I've been a massage therapist for 11 years now. What a lot of my focus was is someone has physical pain. 
what have they done? What is an action that they've done that has created this physical pain? And now I'm creating this really big mental shift for myself into what have they experienced emotionally that is contributing to this physical pain that they're feeling? And That's I right. am just beyond excited about what opportunities exist through somatic breath work. So that's been my newest passion in what I'm exploring, looking at the body, looking at where we store those emotions and how to process them and bring them out and release them. That's a big piece of what I'm doing right now is leading group coaching sessions, asking some questions and then leading somatic breathwork portion of this as well. So it's incorporating sort of my two loves right now of coaching and breathwork and then also doing the one-on-one coaching that allows me to dive deeper with clients from a standpoint of wellness and bravery coaching. So what choices do we make on a daily basis that are extremely brave and align with what we desire? I love that bravery. I find just like you said, when you stop listening to the scary voice in your head and you start saying yes to the potential of joy that lives in your heart, that takes some courage and some bravery. So I love that you're doing bravery coaching. I've never even heard of that, but how cool is that? Awesome. Amy, I know you mentioned that you guys have some kind of professional development course for educators. Can you tell us about that? So we're trying to expand our internal control psychology themed sessions and workshops. Heather mentioned that she runs one in service, one for personal trainers. And so we're creating a shift into opportunities for healthcare practitioners and then also for educators. So it's something that we are offering and it's an opportunity for people who have listened to your show and they are starting to understand choice theory and internal control psychology. It's an opportunity for them to explore that further to support not only the people that they work with, but they themselves. That's awesome. So how would they sign up for that? We've got a website. It is shift1.ca. So S-H-I-F-T-O-N-E. And that's where we have information on our workshops, how to connect with us for coaching, and then that side burgeoning real estate stuff that we're working on. We also have information on that um, and how people can find out what we're doing in that realm as well. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much. I hate to end this show because I know that there's probably hours worth of things that we could talk about. But I do have to respect my listeners and try to keep this down to about 20 to 30 minutes for them. I appreciate both of you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. Our pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when we'll be changing the topic from education to mental freedom. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then.